Hi, this is Wendy Steinberg from the Coffee Celebration. Today, I have Rabbi Micah Becker-Klein. He is the Roasting Rabbi Coffee. Um, he created the Roasting Rabbi Coffee Company. Um, it is releasing the holy spark in each bean. And one of the um, great lines I love from his website is great coffee and great people go together. And I cannot agree more. Um, and so welcome so much. You Thank are the you. first coffee company I'm um, having on the podcast. I'm very grateful. And just really, if you'll uh, introduce yourself a little bit and sure. tell us how you decided to create a, a coffee company. Yeah. So, yeah, my I, um, I've been a, a rabbi, I should say, for, for a number of years. I uh, was... Uh, went to the Re Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, and I graduated in 2000. Um, before that, I actually did my undergraduate work in the field of religious studies at Columbia University and focus at the Jewish Theological Seminary in the history of Jewish liturgy. Um, that being said, none of that's a direct lead into coffee <laughs> specifically, but- Except uh, for I, it probably sustained you, no doubt. It, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. In, in, my, in, in the various places I've served as rabbi, um, from Bordentown, New Jersey, to Keene, New Hampshire, and Springfield, Massachusetts, and then later in, in where I am right now in Delaware, um, the, my interest began first really from the Jewish perspective of an interest in Jewish food, how food got to our table, how it uh, had meaning and ritual blended together in so many ways in every culture. Yeah. Um, again, it wasn't immediately to coffee. It was that, that itself took a little bit of time to, to wind up being the specific company. Um, my interest was in general about kosher food and and how food uh is raised in agriculture and sustainability mm -hmm. um and trying to find the biblical ideas and the jewish ideas that were about sustainability as an ecology and then melding them together with what we could do today in modern and contemporary farming practices that got me a little bit more directly to something I love, which was coffee. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so the neat thing about coffee is that from a Jewish perspective, when you're talking about is a food source kosher, which is a technical term, which is, is it going to be okay to consume? Um, and in food in particular, there's categories of foods that are and foods that aren't. Coffee by its very nature is kosher. And because it is a seed, it's it's misleading. I mean, I use the term releasing the holy spark in each bean. People talk about coffee beans. There's many mm -hmm. beans, you know, related names to coffee uh, companies in the industry, from roasters to coffee houses. Uh, that very idea, though, led some people, for example, in the Jewish world to ask, is it a bean early on? very very early on um, we're talking like in the 16th 17th century as peoples were trying to understand what this new thing was um one of the jewish questions was well is it a bean and therefore is it going to be an issue for passover in particular mm. or is it not well the answer is it's not a bean it's a seed that we've roasted so it actually clears all of the questions in the technical jewish world of whether it's kosher or not in the world of Islam, for example, there's a whole lot, is it an intoxicant? Is it like wine is the real question. And again, the answer comes back, oh, you know, no, it's not. It, it has effects on people. We love the effects. In fact, <laughs> that's the most important part exactly. um, for many of us, not everyone, for most of us. Uh, but yeah, that's where religion in particular and how food gets looked at started asking these questions. So that... Oh, maybe a little convoluted way of how I got to where I am, but. Um, but how do you even start a coffee company? Yeah. I hear your, you know, I hear your passion and on your website, there's so many, I mean, like the two I have, one is from Brazil, Brazil one is from Colombia. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. if you talk of how you travel, I mean, what's the cost? Travel. Like my mind travel. is everywhere. 
Like, travel is past tense. Oh no, not past. Hopefully, oh, of course, tense. of course. It's been a few minutes. It's um, been a minute. Okay, so so the, here's the quick story. In a way, I it it started out in my house. It, it it like like a lot of good companies. It started out in my house, and and it grew from um, something I was really doing on my own, and and on an oversized toaster oven type thing, to going to my garage, and then actually getting something that ran on gas until I thought. Okay, I'm I'm getting good at this, but I, if I'm going to be a company, it, if it's going to get from oh this is fun to serious, I, I can't be in my garage <laughs> for for a whole lot of reasons. It's not okay. And if you want to sell, if I want to get it to a cafe, and if I want to get it to uh, people for real, other than my friends and family, it inspired me then to go into a training regimen and actually to purchase a a, a, a machine that would generate um a, it's a it's a three kilo machine, so it'll be about six pounds depending on on how far you roast the coffee itself. And that journey took a few years and it, and it, it wasn't a direct journey. I didn't sit down and go, I'm going to be a coffee roaster. It really went from, I want to understand and I want to be able to create really, really good coffee that matches the sustainability issues, the traceability issues, the ability to these days, you, you can have a conversation with the with either the farm or the co-op or the washing station, depending on the country, um, and understand a little bit about what's going on. It's it's really source to cup, very traceable in the specialty coffee market, in the smaller uh, coffee roasters in particular. And so the con the countries of origin that I the places of origin that I find the coffees from has developed. And I do like to have a good selection from the coffee growing regions as best I can. Uh, Brazil from South America, something, at least one or two from Central America, usually a Guatemala and a Costa Rica, but that will also change around. A Colombia, which is different than Brazil, you already mentioned that. Um, then Ethiopia, I always have an Ethiopia. I'm I'm partial to a natural. Though most of what I try to get is fair trade, organic or organic at least. It's not always certified. Some of these really small farms and 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 co-ops is they're not certified, but they don't have. There's no there's nothing, but an organic fertilizer. It might be. I mean, some of them are. Uh, let's say the women coffee producers. It might be a hundred women. In, an, in a country that may they have a two hectares or three hectares and they're growing peppers, cassava, bananas and coffee. And then they get this collective together and they can make a good lot. Well, that That's the technical term for the coffee. And they can get paid really well for that. <clears throat> that's really interesting. Yeah. And at the same time, and this was my interest, was really good coffee. So I kind of like I I'd had enough organic coffee and fair trade coffee. You see me shaking my head. You won't see it on the podcast. That I was like, ah man, it would really be good if it was good because yeah. I really value the rest of it. And I wasn't getting these other like sing and in, a lot of what I like is the single source, single countries because then I get to the to, like you talk about in wine. One talks about in wine when you talk about a single country or a single farm or a single region. You're going to taste the soil. You're going to taste everything that went into that, from the growing to the to the to the uh, processing, which is a whole other aspect of what we do with coffee, to how it's actually going to wind up, you know, in a, in a bag at my warehouse. And most, um, a lot of what I deal with are, are companies that will package in fifty-five to sixty-five pound boxes. Which is not a full what you what one thing is was like the full coffee bag, which is fifty or sixty to seventy kilo, which I have utilized. It's just a little bit harder for one person to move. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you when you do, yeah. um, like how do you even order like online? And you say I yeah, need so much, and and they send I, it to you. The, it, coffee is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, globally traded commodities. Um, perhaps the first, what we think of as stock exchange that was founded in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. was for coffee trading internationally um, around 1500. Um, so if you're interested in the great book, I'll make a, a great book called The Coffee Trader. 
and uh, the the author is David List, and it, it's a not it's a historical fiction book about uh, a coffee trader who happens to be Jewish. So I've got my own little interest in that particular piece. Of so um, the 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 coffee itself, you know, is is produced in many ways and and sent around the world in 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 many many ways as well. Mm -hmm. So um sustainability is actually another real question in the end. yeah uh, yeah how, so yeah what what else can i focus on for okay you? so you started in according to your website you started in 2000 right no i mean no <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean is that what my website says i i mean i've visited coffee plantations and farms in various places the the first uh, coffee that I roasted was in 2000 and at home, that home starting when I had the toaster oven type thing, it was probably 2016. I've been in the warehouse space. The company has been LLC'd uh, since 2019. Okay. Um, and it was 2020 was when we opened our doors to do coffee tastings. Um, and then, and then and COVID, then COVID. So, but so, how has how has your business grown then? I mean, I'm sure. Well, we I pivoted, you mm -hmm. know, like many other people, pivoted quickly from wow, this is great doing coffee tastings. That was my vision. It still is. I, I like yeah. this uh, idea that, like a wine tasting, you can taste single source coffees. You wouldn't do this at home normally, right? And and say, wow, I now understand all these differences. I, I put the blend there as well, and put the decaf there as well, and let everyone taste what it tastes like as black coffee, even if you want to do something else. So I've done some private events after time. I, you know, the initial uh, the initial thing was actually, I was good because mostly what I do is wholesale. A lot of what I do is through the mail or local delivery and local pickups and things like that regionally. Um, and so with COVID that actually, I, I got I got up to speed. That actually maintained pretty well. And with just a little bit of let people know where I am. Yeah. It helped. Yeah. Um, more recently, able to do events and over the summer, able to do events in person and run these tastings um, for like 15, 20 people with the warehouse uh, bays are open and fans are going, but um, with yeah. lots of space also. I mean, it's 1200 foot space. So, so you went and from I your garage to 1200 feet. <laughs> yeah. And so how many, how many bags can you make a day? What's your production? So, yeah, I mean the um, normally when when you're roasting coffee, it, it's not the only thing that I would do, and it's a very uh, focused. I talk, talk about it as a very zen thing. I can't talk. I can put on music, but what I have to do is look at the machine and smell the coffee and look at what's going on, and mm -hmm. and and then when it's gone through, and I take notes. It's all graphed and noted so that I hit the same points each time. Um, I'd say four hours maximum and then you need a break right i mean even like i don't know in any course of any job or whatever you do yeah. after four hours of whatever you do you're like okay i'm gonna take lunch or i'm gonna take a little bit of a break and and as a machine i mean that's it's a good point then so the other parts of the day would be either bagging weighing tasting always tasting there's a part of what i'm doing a lot is sampling to make sure I'm hitting the mark right. on what I say I'm doing, and then one of the way you do that is you you make um, you make a little cup of coffee. It's like actually with the grinds right in the there. You pour hot water in and you let it mm -hmm. sit for four minutes. And you break the crust off. You let the stuff fall down, and you slurp it almost like like wine tasting. And you spit out what you don't want because you will get. I don't need that much coffee. I mean, I drink enough. Yeah. But tasting like that is, you know, if you do six yeah. of those, you know, yeah. and then you another six and another six is okay. And it's not always delicious. You're just trying to match up everything. Um, actually, it is always delicious, but it, it, yeah. Putting grinds in a, in a mug and pouring hot water on it and letting it sit is not the way I would typically make Sure, sure. So, so during, yeah. during COVID, did your business increase? 
Yes. I mean, yes. I was, I was very fortunate with that. Um, and then part of the other uh, aspect of business that I've developed now is a coffee truck and it was quite local. A coffee truck? A coffee truck, an espresso truck. Exactly. So young. So, so um, yeah. And pastries too. I, I mean, so I can, I'm happy to go an hour. I'd love to drive to where you are out there in the Midwest, but I'm not driving my truck. Like that. All good. We'll come to you. But oh, I can't exactly. Goodness. And then you can go to, I can go to parking lots and I can go to events and people actually do the tastings and all of these things now on a location. So that's starting to happen a little bit and that's been really nice. Um, and so bringing the word out there, on the street has been um, a nice edge to develop as well for me. And as a rabbi, this is all tied up in my like, I'm a very grassrootsy type of person to begin with. And so if I can meet people where they're at in the park or, you know, at a race, the bicycle or bluegrass festival, whatever it is, that's a great way to connect to people and, and, and talk. And so part of my deep interest in coffee is also the social part of it. So, and I give lectures and talks around religion and coffee and, and how coffee and religion have intertwined over years. And well, the amazing thing, as I mentioned earlier, it's not alcohol and it's not prohibited, therefore, to, to the Muslim community. It's not prohibited to the Jewish community. Um, the poor um, um, Mormons, I'm so sorry, they don't drink coffee, but they don't drink coffee. So, uh, but, but everyone else seems to be okay with it. And, and historically speaking, at least, and in terms of Christian, Jewish, Muslim uh, um, interactions, the coffee house is actually the place where a lot of positive interactions happened over history. From the 15th century on, it actually was perhaps one of the only safe places that those groups of people could go. In a pre-modern world, there weren't restaurants. There were just taverns on the way. And if you think about the story of most taverns, the end of every night, I can't even imagine what it meant to be. A the end of every night, I don't know, in every movie, whether it's Fiddler on the Roof or any other kind of movie, there's always a brawl. You know, there's always a breakdown thing. It was never, and, and you think about a coffee house is that people might be really excited, but there's rarely, you know, a drunken brawl. Um, it allowed people to have philosophical discussions. It allowed them to have like, what do you think of God? Not like I'm going to kill you or beat you up because right. I don't know. It was a very um, open, in fact, I should also mention that is what gave some religious authorities concern was that people actually were interacting. They were mingling and, you know, people in charge often don't like that, but I love it. I love that it allowed us to share philosophy ideas um, because it was kosher and it was halal and it was okay for a Christian to be there. It, what, there was no issues with that. So this is part of what drives me. You know, like when I, if I, and I like going to churches and having conversations about interfaith dialogue because, wow, what a better place to do it than at the church. And in particular, since I don't work on Shabbat, I don't work on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My great day to go out and bring the truck around is a Sunday. You know? Yeah. Do you and, park in the church parking lot? Yeah, I'm going to be starting again um, uh, this January if the weather behaves out of this part of the world. We'll see. Um, you know, we'll try January and February, as many Sundays as we can do. Um, and then hopefully in the spring. We'll so how much good. coffee do you send out in a day? I know it depends on the orders you get. Yeah, but... I mean, I roast a few days a week and I ship. So I, it's not every day. And often, I mean, every Monday, Monday has been my regular day for a long time. Okay. Um, and then usually on Wednesday. And sometimes it depends on if there's other, sure. my, I have a flexible schedule. So yeah. um, uh, if, if a life event, let's say a funeral or a hospital visit or something like that happens on a Wednesday, then I can move my days around easily enough. Um, and so I try to get myself prepared in the advance so that when the orders come in, it can be roasted twice a week maximum. Like right this, this time of the year, I'm two, three times a week because okay. it's busy, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like today, uh, I mean the past four or five days, again, it's been very busy. I've been, I've been packing and shipping almost every weekday. Oh, wow. Um, 
uh, which is great because I want to be responsible to orders. I tr you, you've heard about shipping issues. Yes. I don't want to have shipping issues. And I want to be mindful that when people are ordering now, it's for the holidays or for gifts for the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I have to say last year was really quite a nightmare for a lot of people, myself included. There were packages took. Like I, I kept saying, I could have walked there. The Pony Express could have had a, I don't understand why it took three weeks to get to Florida. <laughs> you, you know, watching a package go right. from oh God, Delaware to, to Chicago to, you know, I don't yeah. remember where it went to like Memphis and then the Atlanta and then the Florida. I'm watching the tracking and I was like, well, at least I'm seeing it. And I don't understand what you're doing with my two pounds of coffee. But, right. That being said. So you're a pulpit rabbi too? Well, no. Yeah. But you <laughs> do work, life events and things I like work, that. I work as a as a um, as a freelance rabbi, is the best way to put it. I, I work in a community chavara. We call it the community chavara of Delaware. And we are a synagogue without walls. COVID's also put that in for a loop. Because sure. we used to do a lot of potluck dinners and gatherings in people's homes, and we had 40, 50 people. It was getting to that point oh where, my gosh. and then COVID, and yeah. and really it was it was both. We were really lucky because of our last events being right at the end of that. The mm -hmm. Jewish holiday of Purim mm -hmm. um, was in like two, three days later. The right. schools were shutting down here. We had an event, and for the most part, everyone was fine. Um, but only now we're starting to do events again and we did the outdoors and a little bit of food inside the house if we people wanted but also outside we'll figure that out yeah. um I, I teach in a local jewish day school and um one of the places i park my truck is in the jcc parking lot awesome and so there's there's like the rabbi on the ground i mean there's there's a talking with people about yeah. um all any and all questions that might come up while we're talking coffee. That's amazing. That's so yeah. amazing. So how did you meet my cousin, Sharon? I met your cousin, Sharon, at the synagogue I was working at uh, in Newark, Delaware. Okay. We became very good friends. And then since I play music, I play uh, and I write original music and perform, I got to be really good friends with her husband, Chris. Sure. Came in to be a drummer. And then even better, because what you'll love is, then we got Jake to join Chris. Jake is Sharon's son. Right. Sadie didn't want to do anything. Oh my she God. Was too, I mean, at that point, she was on the, I mean, she would come and sit. Mm. It was really cute when she would come and sit next to dad. Mm -hmm. uh, but she was too young at that point. And she's playing guitar or was playing guitar for a while. Um, but yeah, we, we've become, we, we, I see them around and I, she's a good customer um, yes. but, uh, and I delivered to her cause she's local and locally. And I tell people locally, they order two bags. I can drop, drop it off. And when yeah. I'm doing my own errands, it's easy enough. So I don't know the geography of, um, where you live, but you say Newark and then like, how close is everything? Cause you're saying I'll go close. an hour out but I, I really don't have that kind of map in my head um, since I've never been to Delaware. No problem. I am sitting in Hocassin, Delaware, and Delaware, which is the northern part, a northern part of Delaware. Delaware in its northern part is a 12-mile um, arch. Okay. And so between it's not very wide. Most people say, I'm driving down 95 and I went through Delaware, which meant like five minutes later you were out, and that's true. Um, Delaware geographically, it's the same size actually uh -huh. as basically Israel. Um, it's Rhode Island's only a little bit smaller, but it's mm -hmm. really small geographically speaking, um, and very diverse also yeah. geographically, which is wonderful. Yeah. So, um, we're, uh, it's 12 miles across. I'm, um, I can look at the Pennsylvania border pretty much from the top of the hill by my house. Um, and Longwood Gardens and Kennett Square is, uh, is not very far off to the north. Wilmington is about six or seven minutes to the east or so from here, a little bit south. Oh. Um, and uh, it's a lovely area to be in. Uh, yeah. So Philadelphia is about half an hour, 40 minutes. Baltimore is about an hour. Um, so it's quite centrally located down to the beaches, an hour, an hour and a half to the Delaware beaches. Oh my gosh. Um, Atlantic city is probably an hour and a half, 45 minutes, that area. 
you're in a great yeah. you're in a great place. So, so it's in a, it's a nice place to be. So when you know Lancaster is forty five minutes away, yeah. um, Amish country, um, and so there's there's enough between uh, the local areas to visit and vicinity and and urban areas mm -hmm. there's, there's lots of interest in coffee and good yeah. coffee in that too oh absolutely um so are you the only employee yeah i'm the owner i am the roaster <laughs> i'm the bookkeeper you're the utility player I, you're I replace the lights um yeah you know it's it, it it started off that way and and um you know, we'll see where partnerships go and we'll see yeah. where growth goes. Some of those as, as companies grow, I mean, some of the, the, how do we get to these next levels sure. involves certain levels of risk and, and, in, and investment. So, so far, all my investments really primarily been into both the equipment, you know, mm -hmm. the assets themselves and into growing, growing the brand. And yeah. we'll see if we can get more. I've had temporary. I certainly have temporary employees. I mean, I'll bring in people mm -hmm. for a half a day here, kind of hourly um, uh, folks that can help me for bagging and, and weighing and things yeah. like that when we need to help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's me. So where do you see your company maybe in the next year or two? So I'm really working on a partnership currently with um, someone to try and see where we can go with the marketing and go with expanding brand recognition. Mm -hmm. um, what my background isn't from that business angle. Yeah. Right? I come from this passion angle. And while I've been very happy and blessed to see where I can bring it, finding that person that says, I, I, I have that business sense. Wow. Um, yeah, I, because I know at this point, like the coffee roasting is great. The coffee tastes amazing, amazing. right? And 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 like wines, different people like different types of coffees. Different people like different mm -hmm. types of wines. I I believe that with the right marketing and with the right promotions, it can grow exponentially yeah. so then therefore getting onto market shelves and therefore getting employees and things like that would be a nice thing in in a what i would imagine a focused way um i i would like to know that the i'm sure like other company owners that i can keep the level and quality on my brand mm -hmm. that i have now so what kind of a market what kind of a, a supermarket or something like that would be a great question sure. to even ask of myself. Yeah. Um, uh, artisanal markets, the ones that. Yeah. So even back to the coffees that I have on the site, they do evolve. Um, so I always like to have women coffee producer coffees. I saw that. That's but cool. Some, sometimes the the. It's a crop, and when the crop, when the box is gone next year, sometimes it doesn't show back up. These farms will be small, and the collectives are small. All of the coffees that um, I use, and any coffee that you get for the most part in a coffee shop, is rated by the Specialty Coffee Association. It's an okay. international association. And just like wines will have numbers from zero to 100, so do coffees. All of the specialty coffees that are sold are rated from 80 to 100. Most of the stuff I try to grab is in the mid 80s. If I get something yeah. in the 90s, the price, just like anything else, starts gets sure. a little bit more selective, and it usually is a bit more interesting to taste. Oh wow! The same thing happens if they cup right. If the international graders go to the collectors or the farm and they taste this year's crop, mm -hmm. and they go, "Oh, you know what?" It's not 80. It might be a 60. It might be, I don't know why. It might be a frost. It mm -hmm. might be insects. We don't know. Then I won't be able to buy it from the provider again. So I'm, you had asked earlier, where do I get my coffee from? I get, primarily, I'm using two companies uh, that specialize in source to roaster and specialize in the smaller roasters uh, like myself. Um, not using um, a forklift to move the coffees around. Even if I had another employee, it really becomes unwieldy. And then you don't want broken bags anyhow, even though they're also 
the traditional burlap, whatever that mm -hmm. coffee bag, there's a plastic sealed, huge Ziploc bag thing in it also. It's just unwieldy. So those companies, one of the companies that I use, Genuine Origin, um, it, it's about, they, they package on the site, at the site of the country, at the washing station or wherever it is, let's say it's in Ethiopia or Brazil or Uganda or Guatemala, and then it gets sent to here, to Port in New Jersey or California, and then I get it. It doesn't get repackaged again. It's packaged at Port, um, stamped and, and sent out. So when they're tasting, they're the, the they'll always be let's say, let's say Guatemala, for example, I usually have a Guatemala, the Guatemala I usually have on the site is from a region called Weje. I'm going to say it terribly. I, I'm apologizing. It's spelled H-U-E-H-U-E-T-E-N-A-N-G-O. Weje Tenango. I'll usually have something from there, but the co-op or the collective, let's say the women coffee producers, I've had a group called La Morena women coffee producers up this year. I will, I, I know I'm about to sell out of it. And I know that the next shipment won't be until April. So I'll, I'll have something else in the in-between oh, okay. to, to have a Guatemala, to have it be organic. It will have its own story. It just won't be that one until I can get the women coffee producers one back online. Coffee prices are also jumping this year, just like every, we're seeing inflation rates. Coffee also uh, from Brazil that got hit with a really bad frost. So there's not as much as, and supply chain issues and rising prices. So we'll see what everything else looks like. Um, I do try to carry as much fair trade organic certified as I can find. Um, Especially in, let's say, uh, I have a coffee right now from the Democratic Republic of Congo that benefits the Virunga National Park where the gorillas live. And it was really important for me that, like, if, and it's yeah. a specialty one. It's not like the people, most people don't run to the supermarket and grab Democratic Republic of Congo coffee. But I thought it was important to have it both because it benefits the park, also because it was certified fair trade organic, and it's a project that helps the, the indigenous um, people who want to farm understand and, and learn about sustainable farming practices rather than a lot of the slash and burn practices that seem to be run rampant in places where we can't help educate as well. So, for example, that's there. Um, so they're all store. I call them story coffees. There should be a good story to the coffee that you see on, on the site there, um, whether it's benefiting one organization, a school, a women coffees collective or something like that. Um, yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So, okay. What popped in my head, so judge me favorably is that you're talking about 80 or above, but then I think back to when I was in college and I thought Denny's was like the bomb, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you would go to Denny's like, right. and we would just sit there do homework, whatever. That must right. be like a 10 or something like, like so, mass produced coffee good. is probably on the lower end of the food chain, so to speak. Yeah. I, some of it depends. So, um, uh, and I'll really Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin', I don't know what they call themselves now. They I actually know. are specialty coffee producers. It's they're, they're, they, they're not a micro industry, but they are producing coffee at a, and they're buying coffees that cup at a higher level, even if we don't. Oh, I hope that coffee works. Do you need to go? No, no, I'm turning off the the sound, the disturbance thing. Okay. Hopefully it won't ding again. It's okay. Um, you want to re-ask the question? No, you were talking about how Starbucks, it's not a micro company. They're right. still so specialty. Yeah, so they're still roasting those coffees. It, how the flavor profile, you know that those two companies in particular have a coffee flavor profile. Every cup mm -hmm. you drink from those places should taste exactly the same. Every place you go, world over, not even country, the whole world over. Um, what I appreciate in this level is that there's variance in the cup by design. It's grown on smaller farms. Each year, it's going to taste slightly differently. When I roast it, there's a little difference 
the the atmosphere if i roasted today and it was hot and tomorrow it's all of a sudden colder just these little differences even with me using the computer they're just a little different yeah and that's what, what's amazing it's like saying i you know the it's it's the artisanal baked bread isn't the same in december as it is in may it sh right. shouldn't be right Absolutely. Um, and it's okay that the Pepperidge farm or the, I don't know, the large other mass producers, they need it to be the same all year round. So actually part of what Starbucks does or Dunkin' is you go darker, a lot easier to go darker because you mask any of the nuances very quickly. The lighter the roast, the more the fruit tones, the more of the, the, the floral essences that you get. Um, I usually roast to a medium, medium, medium light. Uh, don't go, <clears throat> very dark partially what you were talking about the wendy's coffee or the not the wendy's coffee, your name's funny but wendy's coffee okay, would i would love my own Denny's, company <laughs> Denny's coffee or 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 friendly's coffee right, or, right. or new york city deli coffee mm -hmm. um you know is it, maybe it's second wave you know, my first wave coffee was like the, uh, the stuff in the 1800s that was being dragged around, they were putting, uh, I don't know, rust and they, they, they would roast the coffee in Europe, put it on a ship, put it on a wagon, send it home somewhere in the middle of the country. You know, it wasn't pure. It wasn't well cared for. It takes until like a Maxwell's type company to make a can that seals and vacuum seals. And even that, once you break it, once you've ground it, it's already starting to oxidize. So the whole bean coffee is is actually the best way to keep or store for a length of time. As soon as you grind it, it just oxidizes. It's like cutting up your apple right. and putting it in a bag and saying, how long can I keep it? And the answer is you should eat as soon as possible. Right, right. I mean, it won't be bad. It's just it would be better if you eat it soon. So it takes a while to get there. And it really is a Starbucks, the third wave. It, it, it is that the Pete's and the PTs, these other companies that are going to relate almost the same time as a Starbucks gets out there. And, and they're starting to show people like you can drink a cup of coffee that's roasted fresh. Now, at the same time, the type of coffee people were drinking that were popularized were the darker ones. When I was going to college in New York City, I remember very clearly we'd walk down uh, to the fairway or you'd walk to uh, Zabar's, one of those places, and it was just the oily, dark, oily beans in bags, and they just roasted it. You could, it was warm, and it was, oh, that was awesome. Yeah. And in a way, it was like why we loved the, the Denny's coffee. Like, we, it was, we were drinking it, and it was good, right. and we weren't really thinking where did the flavor go it's it's like a well-done steak or a hamburger like we really you're you, there's some the the flavor has gone into the caramelization and the dark stuff and you're missing i don't know i i like a molten chocolate cake i like a, uh, I, that's my kind of chocolate if you give me the chocolate cake and it's all dry i'm like oh that's that's a lot of work for a dry chocolate cake <laughs> give me mine a little undercooked okay so i don't know that that's the kind of coffees i tend okay. to generate are on the lighter end now to to some folks that dark means strong but it, it does it does mistake though it's a mistake and i say it's a mistake for the following in, in my opinion Please. no educate me educate us is that if if you take and measure the coffee. First of all, it weighs different. I'll often weigh coffee. If you weighed, I don't know, you said Brazil and something else. Which are the ones you had? Colombia. Colombia. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, smell it. Oh my God. <laughs> if you had two, let's say you had a Brazil and a Colombia and you had a, yeah. a tablespoon and you put them on a scale, they'll weigh slightly different. Oh. So, okay, to make stronger coffee, you add more. So if I was making just for the sake for example um let's do scoops let's do tablespoons because it's an easy I, mm -hmm. it's not how i would do it i would weigh it but let's do tablespoons for argument's sake if okay. i was going to do um a, one cup of coffee let's the, the the mug the american mug which is two cups of coffee in the rest of the world i would take let's say 
four tablespoons into my Mr. Coffee-ish thing, and I'd put that through the the, the machine. Mm-hmm. And if I was like, wow, that's, that's too watery. There's two things that are going on possible. Okay. One is add more coffee. The second is the grind size. And so grinding the coffee to match the coffee maker is also important. If it's too watery, it means the grind is too large and the water is passing through it too quickly. On the other side, if it's too fine, you, you do not want to make it too fine. Like don't want to make a mistake in taking espresso grinds and putting it in your automatic coffee maker. That will take too long and make the coffee bitter, really bitter. And you'll say, wow, why is it like my coffee is really bitter today? Because it's taking too long to get through the filter. There's this medium side to everything, depending on how you make your coffee. If you like a French press, go coarse, as coarse as you can get it. I actually like to steep my French press for seven minutes. Again, if your French press isn't strong enough, leave it a little longer. If it's too strong, take it out sooner. Can I ask you a question? I don't mean to interrupt. That's why we're here, no, go ahead. Okay, let me interrupt you. What about decaf? How does that play what into bubbles? What about decaf? What about yeah. it? What I don't mind decaf, but like, how do you make it? Okay, decaf is a process that happens to the coffee before it even gets to my place. Oh. We talk for a minute about coffee processing. Coffee grows like a cherry, basically. When they harvest the coffee, they have to process it to get it back down to the seed. Okay. To do that, there's a number of methods. There's the washed method. There's the natural method. Then there's a variety of fermentation methods, including one called honey. Hmm. Washed means they took the skin off of this, and then you've got this like fruity stuff, and they blast it with water. It gives you a little polished thing that takes a lot of water. Natural, take the skin off, put it in the sun, in a very dry, hot place, Ethiopia, Yemen. Mm-hmm. It's done however, and all you pick it up, you got dust, and you have, now you have your little dry, natural processed coffee. Uh, fermenting, which as you know, probably know, everything cool these days is fermented, come on. <laughs> Um, it actually is a neat thing because it, it's part of a sustainability act where we're saving water in mm-hmm. many of the places that would normally had been processing with washed and therefore a lot of water, a lot of wastewater, a lot of stuff going in and out of the water. And so we take the, the skin off of the, the coffees, put them in the sun and put a tarp over it for a variety of, of varying amount of time, mm-hmm. rotating the cherries uh, again in a varying amount of time up to a month so that when that month is done and they uncover it the fruit is sticky and gooey like honey and it basically it's like it, the the seed pops right out it actually sweetens the sweet it doesn't make it taste like sugar but it does take the coffee when roasted has a sweetness to it and a less of a, a the bitterness and amazingly it makes it deeper and darker. So now I don't, I find coffee, this is what I love. Now that coffee tastes darker. There's a coffee I have right now. It's a, it's a limited run called 48 hour anaerobic fermentation. And it tastes as deep and dark as, as like a Sumatra, which also tastes deep and dark. If you like that, I would direct you to, to those on my website. Whereas the Ethiopia, I go lighter. Whereas uh, I have a specialty, a rare one, the Costa Rica Gesha. It's light. It does not go dark. Um, the Brazil goes darker. I mean, it, so it just depends on, but also not a deep, dark coffee. If somebody said, oh, I like deep, dark, okay, let's let's get you over there. And that's so wait, how I, does dark correlate with caffeine amount or because? To a minute, a minute. Here's what the studies have shown. Okay. In your cup at home, mm-hmm. there's no difference. I mean, could be, you, 
if you had a swimming pool amount, you could see the difference that right. So right. <laughs> yes, there is less caffeine in darker roasted coffee, but the amount of difference between my medium roasted or medium light roasted and right. dark roasted in one cup of coffee is not the difference between you being awake for a whole day and you not being, you know, it's not right. like that. Okay. That's oh, wow. Caffeine, the most caffeine is in light coffee. And there's a, I haven't roasted it. There's stuff called like white coffee and it is like never heard barely, of barely roasted. It tastes probably more like tea and nuts and things like Ooh. that. And uh, is like quadruple the caffeine. Check it out. I, I, I haven't done it. I haven't <laughs> even tasted it. And tell me what happens if you find it. You'll be like, I've been awake for three days. I got <laughs> so. I got something to do. I'm waiting for no Passover. Idea. Oh, my um, God. There's, there's actually another one on the market that's half caffeine that I'm waiting for it to come back this year. because And naturally. Okay, so let's go back to decaf. Okay. Yes. And, and why I'm looking for the one that's naturally half. Okay. Half the caffeine, that is. So to make decaffeinated coffee, you have to soak it after it's processed in a bath of some sort. So when you see Swiss water decaf, yeah, there's also mountain water decaf and Mexican water decaf. Uh, it's not really water. It's a- Oh, uh, what it, is it? it? Well, so it's chemical. It's, it's a combination of things. Yes, there's some water. But okay, what it's thanks. doing is it's allowing the, it takes out chemicals, including caffeine. And then they take the water or that liquid out of the pool mm -hmm. and they bring in another liquid that reintroduces some flavor after they remove the caffeine. So it's a chemical oh. process. The original decaf coffee <laughs> it was like made with benzene and it was it's, like, it's funny we took the caffeine we got the jitters out you just might not make it the next month after drinking this <laughs> um we've all had the experience of a of a of a of a sank of a really not yes. good decaf right so what i have found what i like on and I just happen to have it on my website, but you can find it other places as well, is something called sugar process, sugar cane decaf, or sometimes called ethylene alcohol process, EA decaf. So as I mentioned, you have to put the beans in something, a bath to remove the caffeine and often reintroduce flavor. So because it, you, you've kind of, ah uh, it's like matzah <laughs> you've double you you've double there's you know it's not that good because you've just what'd you do to my what'd you do to my flour like I, here's your matzah meal go ahead make a pancake like, but yeah but it's so flat by the way if you're into kosher wine it's my same reaction that i have to wine that is mivushal right. micah does not prefer his wine to be pasteurized it seems to mute the flavor. Most decaf I find is muted. I can tell it immediately. If you put me in a blind test, most people you said regular, 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 regular decaf. You, you, oh, there's something different. That one's somehow not as something's missing. Mm -hmm. The ethylene alcohol, as far as I can say, you can't tell it's decaf. It's not missing anything. And what they've done is in the countries where they're making sugar cane, one of the byproducts of sugar cane, when they're trying to make sugar from the sugar cane, I should have said, one of the byproducts when they're making sugar is ethylene alcohol. Okay. So this is neat because now they're not, there's no waste. So okay. the country's made, they're making sugar and now they've got this ethylene alcohol and they find out that if they put the coffee in that, not only does it take out the caffeine, it actually leaves it wonderfully tasting because it's a little sweet. That's lovely. So the EA process, is what you can look for in decaf in specialty coffee shops and i would encourage you to taste mm -hmm. now it like my i have one that's from colombia if you paired it against this colombia from the same region you, they don't taste the same you would not say well they taste the same you'd say they taste different and with the decaf you might say there's something different in that one i don't know what it is it's really good it doesn't have that muted thing mm -hmm. but it's not the same so 
I'll send you a sample one of these days. Oh my goodness. I'm going to, um, as we wrap up, I'm going to put, when I download your podcast episode, I'm going to ask you to give me a picture and we'll post it on every social media and I'll have all your contact information, but I have, I just have a couple more questions. I know it's only an hour that we, um, reserve. I'll I'll answer quickly. Okay. Just tell me, I this will be my last one. Is there a cost difference in producing decaf versus, um, a caffeinated blend of coffee? No, no. There's really just my attention to detail. Okay. All the things I would never want to do is to mix up decaf with regular coffee. Right. You know, it'd be awful to be like, I sent Guatemala and it was supposed to be Brazil. That would be awful. (laughs) But yeah, so actually I've got different storage boxes. I have a different place where I put it so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't get mixed in. It's almost like gluten-free for me. I'm like, keep it away so that, so yeah. that um you know there's no user error as or at least about possibility that possible so. that's amazing yeah. yeah yeah i have really enjoyed this Good. thank you rabbi Micah. My i'm so glad my pleasure. Um, oh my goodness i learned so much i'm yeah. really grateful you took the time to talk to me because Absolutely. i love coffee been drinking it since i was 10 and um Whoa. really sharon has been sending me your coffee for years, for at least since 2000, like right when you started in 2019. I, I remember that. I remember oh my that. gosh, I love it. And no one can touch it because it's, it's <laughs> hot. <laughs> well, that, we could do a follow, we could do a tasting one day. We can even do that. That would be we amazing. That talk about like what it is that you, t- like to oh. articulate that for people, like what, what it is that comes across. So how exactly. do you drink your coffee? If I could ask you a question, what sure. is your preferred method, let's say, of coffee preparation? Um, well, I just got one of my friends during COVID sent me a French press. And so I kind of kicked up my, I guess, snobbiness a little bit. (laughs) And, um, it really makes a difference. It does. And like you were saying about the bean, like at Trader Joe's, I'm like, okay, I'm open to trying everything on this wall. It is amazing. Right. You know, and I felt like I had limited myself so much because you do get kind of stuck in that rut of Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, Denny's back in the yeah. day, whatever. Yeah. And I don't I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So great to talk about coffee. coffee. I mean, we didn't even talk about the tra- traditional Ethiopian preparations. Oh my God, it's amazing. Turkish coffee and all those other ways that, that people consume coffee, but we can do that another time. That'll be um, our second episode. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, Thank my you pleasure. so much. Absolutely. Be well. Bye. Have a great night.